What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Primal Baseball Podcast. If you have not done so already, follow us on Instagram at Primal Baseball, P-R-I-M-A-L-B-S-B-L. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. We got some new content coming out. Today, I have another guest. So I have Luke Dawson, who is the Integrated Throwing Coordinator at ATP Advanced Therapy Performance in Stamford, Connecticut. And I'm going to let Luke introduce himself even deeper right now. Yeah, Jory, thanks for having me on. First of all, definitely looking forward to, uh, you know, chatting it up and seeing what we get into. Um, but yeah, my name is Luke Dawson. As Jory said, I am the integrated throwing coordinator at Advanced Therapy and Performance in Stanford, Connecticut. Um, you know, lucky enough for myself, I actually grew up in Stanford. So, you know, once I started training and was looking for a place to work in the off seasons, you know, ATP was, uh, was the perfect spot for me. Um, I grew up my whole life pretty much playing baseball, played at West Hill High School in Stanford, Connecticut, and then went on to play at Bentley University, which is a Division II school just outside of Boston. Um, graduated from there in 2019, and then since then, I've been bouncing around a couple of different indie ball teams, different leagues, and, you know, that's uh, kind of where I am now. Yeah, and and I'm I, I'm not sure. So you graduated in 2019. Yep. So 2017, uh, 2018 spring, I was at SNHU as a freshman. You probably didn't see me on the mound because I was in the dugout the whole time, except for except for like six right. innings. But uh, I'm sure I watched you pitch against us at some point. Yeah, I pitched. 2018, I pitched twice against Southern New Hampshire. Um, I pitched in regular season game, and then pitched in the playoff game, which uh, you guys ended up winning on a walk off. Uh, tough ending to that, but still, uh, you know, you know that's how it goes sometimes. You guys were a great squad, so like you said, you know, probably didn't see you because <laughs> you guys were always like 40 people deep on the bench, so so. 70 guys on the bench so just waiting to get their shot but yeah before Bentley I know you touched on high school a little bit but I'm I'm curious to see your background with with sports like did you play multiple sports or was it just kind of baseball focused when you when you got to high school yeah so growing up um you know baseball was always my main sport I was you know I was always pretty good um and then played a little bit of like basketball growing up, but I wasn't really good there. Um, no handles, couldn't shoot a little bit of defense, but really just not great there. Um, and then I always wanted to play football, would play like pickup, but my parents never really let me play like organized football, which, you know, looking back on that, you know, I, I get it. And, you know, I think I, I do yep. appreciate it. Uh, just cause of all like the injuries that can, that can definitely come from football. Um, but I was always, I was always a pretty good runner, pretty fast. Um, in middle school, I ran some cross country, but in high school, I chose not to, to uh, pursue that really. Cause I was just like, this is brutal and I yeah. don't really enjoy it. Um, but then my sophomore year of high school, I actually started doing indoor track in the winter. So that was like a good way for, you know, me to stay in shape, stay in a team, um, just stay active throughout the winter. Um, and I was doing mostly like sprints there and, and that was a, that was a good experience overall, but 
yeah, I mean, athletically growing up, I mean, baseball was the main thing. And, but, you know, it was always, you know, playing with friends and going outside and, you know, whatever sports you're playing in the backyard, it's not always organized, but, you know, you're playing all different types of sports, really. I just want you to touch on, or maybe you could talk a little bit about how, like, those things, like, just going outside with your friends and figuring out, like, a wiffle ball game or playing wall ball or whatever, like, how that helped your performance without without actually training. I know in, in today's world, we're so, like, caught up in the actual training, which is a beautiful thing. It's It's awesome to get in the gym and it's awesome to train, but we also need to have those times where it's kind of, like, unstructured and we're just creating and when we have those times like more often than not we actually create and develop skills that we use in the game without actually knowing it the best time for you to like explore i think and learn things is is when you're having a good time and having fun and you know you're not worried about like you obviously like you're competing right but it's like kind of a stress-free environment and you can kind of just you know, mess around with whatever you're doing and you still have like an objective in mind, but you can kind of, you know, mess around. It's, it's free play. And, you know, I think, you know, whether that's, like you said, playing wiffle ball and you're throwing side arm or throwing different pitches and, um, you know, or that's basketball and you're trying a different move and you're jumping high and, and all these different things. Um, another thing too, that, you know, personally growing up, you know, I was lucky enough to grow up in an area where there was like, a lot of like woods behind my house and like so I would always spend a ton of time just out there running around in in nature and um, you know jumping off rocks and you know climbing trees and all that stuff yeah it's it's really it's really cool when I live on I live on a farm back home I'm in I'm in uh, Boston right now but um, I live on a farm back in Vermont and and I always thought that that was like the, the normal thing until I until I actually saw other civilization outside of Vermont and I realized that everybody right. everybody doesn't live on a farm um so that was that was kind of an eye-opening thing for me um and that wasn't until like after high school because I never I mean I went to the city sometimes but but I, I didn't get out much so um yeah I think it's I think it's just important again to reiterate just to if you have like even if you're in a city if, if you have friends and you have some guys that you can go down to the park with and just play in a stress-free environment. It It's good to have both. Like it's good to be on, be in a bullpen and have live hitters and have the stress of a game because you need to acclimate to that before you actually get in the game. I mean, nothing is going to actually compare to the actual game level experience, but then on the other hand, having a space where <clears throat> if you throw a s- sidearm sinker and it doesn't break like in wiffle ball and the dude takes you dead center, like the worst thing that's going to happen is is he's gonna bat flip you and like it's gonna be it's honestly probably still an enjoyable experience so um yeah kind of kind of moving on to to your d2 career what was what was the biggest struggle that you could see maybe you can touch physically or mentally or just like emotionally being away from home but what was the biggest struggle that you had going over to college baseball yeah i think i mean definitely for me i mean this might make sense to a lot of people, but it was really just adjusting to the talent um, and, you know, playing against older players as well. But, you know, growing up, you know, playing in Connecticut, you know, we play like some solid competition, but it wasn't anything crazy, especially, 
you know, I didn't play too much travel ball. It was mostly just playing Legion and, um, you know, American Legion and stuff like that. So, you know, you'd face like some solid players and some players who are going to go play in college, but then, you know, there's a lot of players who, you know, they're just playing high school and, you know, it's also 16, 17, 18 year olds. And then, you know, you go to college and you're playing some grown men, you're playing 21, 22 year olds. Now there's even some older players that are still hanging around um, with, you know, fifth and sixth years and everything like that. So for me, it was the big thing was just making those adjustments. And I think physically I was, um, I was in a pretty good spot compared to the rest of my team. Uh, I mean, even as a freshman, I was probably one of the harder throwers on the team, but just like figuring out how to attack hitters and get hitters out. Um, and a big part of that too, was just trusting my stuff. Um, you know, the first part of my freshman year, I think I started to, I kind of thought too much that hitters were like really, really good. And like, I needed to like spot up perfectly and be like everything there. Um, when, especially to in that period, like from the summer after my senior year of high school to like my freshman year of college, I probably gained about five miles an hour. So I went from throwing like low eighties to like upper eighties, probably touching 90 yep. that year. Yep. Uh, I don't know for sure, but it was definitely around that. And, you know, I think I gave the level of competition a little bit too much um, credit instead of just like going out there and chucking. And at the end of the, you know, I had a horrible ERA like through the first half of the year. And then I was like, all right, screw this. I'm just going to, you know, go out there and, and do what I've done like for the rest, like in, in the past in my career that's worked. And that's like chuck and try and blow some fastballs guy or by guys. And, you know, that's, that's what was really successful for me. I had a really great second half of my freshman year. Um, was just able to uh, sneak my ERA under 10. So that was great. Yep. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's uh, that was the main adjustment for me. You know, everything like socially was solid. Um, and then, you know, I loved, I thought like I found a good structure and baseball was actually a way for me to, it was kind of like a sanctuary for me, um, you know, with everything going on with school and, you know, obviously academics are tough, but, you know, I started to love the game even more, I think. And especially like even embracing like practices and appreciating like, okay, like I can, you know, get away from everything else that, you know, college is and just like go out there and play baseball. And it, you know, a lot of people I think would like, you know, just hate, practice in general or like lifting and I think I was you know and what's helped me a lot develop you know was really embracing that and enjoying that process of lifting practice just getting better and then obviously the games as well was a lot of fun as well yeah it's crazy it's crazy to listen like to your story because every everything you were talking about freshman year like resonates almost exactly exactly how how I went about my freshman year too you had a little bit more playing time than I did but when I got to SNHU I I started thinking as soon as I got there like this is different like my first practice I remember going on the field like I need to be like perfect my stretches need to be perfect like 
I need to throw perfectly every pitch. Like when I get my bullpen, I can't miss. And then when I face a hitter, I have to paint it outside, like on the black, or he's going to like take it dead center. So I started trying to paint like everything. I started to throw like nasty curveballs, like even better than what I, what I could. And I just couldn't find the strike zone. And then when I did find the strike zone, I got smashed. So it was just kind of a downward, downward spiral. And then it, it I didn't even figure it out until like <clears throat> the end of, freshman year when we were at we were at carry and I was throwing on a side field to give the hitters like practice for the game and I I was in the bullpen I was like yeah something like has to change like what did I do in high school and I remember in high school like I would come in from short and just throw it as hard as I could right down the middle and like be like dude you're not gonna hit like there's no shot you touch this so I thought well might as well try that like right now and see like I literally have zero to lose I'm I'm throwing on a side field like I'm sitting in the stands watching my team like so so that's what I did like I threw it as hard as I could down the middle and I was like oh like maybe these guys aren't as good as I I thought maybe I gave them a little too much credit so that's really cool that we kind of had the the same the same experiences and and hopefully if there's kids listening to this in their freshman year maybe we can speed up the process of them them uh progressing and skip over the the giving hitters too much credit because hitters kind of suck no matter what uh level they're at maybe not professional but i mean still you throw a fastball in the middle you might get away with it right definitely you might and um you know thinking about that transition from like high school to college you know i also see it with a lot of people transitioning um you know into professional baseball especially in the minor leagues um and, you know, this happens with college guys going into the minor leagues, but definitely with high school guys going into the minor league system. And, you know, it's they get there and right away it's, you know, teams are trying to, like, coach them up, which is great. Like, you know, everyone wants to help. Uh, but sometimes it's like you just need to let that kid do his thing and, you know, see what he can, what he can do, what his adjustments he makes. And you know, if he really starts to fail, like, okay, then you start to like give more suggestions and work a little bit more hands on, but you know, it is a very intimidating setting, you know, whether you're going into college or you're going into pro ball, um, you know, you see people with a lot more experience than you and, you know, people who have been to the level you want to get to and you want to just listen to every single thing they're saying. But at the end of the day, a lot of times like you have to listen to yourself and you have to trust what you know. And that's how, you know, you're really going to learn and progress. Um, so I wish I, it's great that, you know, all coaches like are there, they want to get guys better, but a lot of times it's like, you just have to let that, that person who's new to that setting go out there and, and do their thing and see what they can do. Right. And like, let them fail and let them try and make adjustments and like be there for like small things here and there. Yeah. And, and with you being a D2 guy out of high school, a lot, I'm mean, not a lot. It's starting to come around where kids are a little bit less set on D1. I think, or at least in, in my opinion, the guys that I've talked to, the high schoolers that I've talked to are kind of shooting for more of the better fit for them academically, socially, and that, which is great. Um, I'm curious of, you know, you being at the facility at ATP, if, if, if there's an emphasis you feel on, on being D1 and, and your advice to kids who maybe think D1 is the only option. 
Yeah, it's it's definitely interesting, um, especially the past ever since um, you know COVID and the new transfer rules. You know, everyone you know everyone still wants to go D one out of high school. Um, you know, and if that's that's great, right? You should want to play at that highest level that you can. Um, but right now, you know, if you look at it, uh, you know, D ones are not recruiting that many guys out of high school right now. Like you have to be really, really good to go D one out of high school, right? Because college coaches, their livelihood is based on winning, right? They have to win to keep their job or to move on to a better job, right? So why are they, they have no real incentive to take a 17, 18 year old kid who might need a few years to develop to impact the program when they could go into the transfer portal and they can get a 21, 22 year old, maybe 23 year old who's fully grown, who has college experience, who has like proven results at that level. And they know that person is going to help them win right away. And it's, it's definitely there. There's pros and cons to, you know, that system, you know, it definitely does give some, some more opportunity to players, um, you know, especially at lower levels who are looking to, to make that move up to a little bit higher level, but you know, it does take some opportunity away from some high school guys as well. And, you know, I know back when I was playing baseball in, in high school, there was, you know, if you were throwing, even as a righty, if you were throwing maybe 86, 87, like you were probably going to get a D1 opportunity. Yeah. And, you know, now there's, you know, I see plenty of 87, 88, 89 guys who were, you know, getting, who are going to like D2, D3 schools. And not that there's anything wrong with that. It's just the reality of it. And a little bit of that is, you know, people are throwing harder and that's just one measuring stick. But, you know, it is the reality of, you know, D1s are not recruiting as many guys as they used to. And, you know, going back to the other part of the question, um, you know, obviously they're, you know, from my perspective, I, I can say that, you know, the D1 or bus mentality is, yeah. you know, it's it's not the best thing for most guys, right? Finding that school that you're going to be able to play baseball at that is going to be a great fit for you and, you know, I know in, in high school I had, you know, I wanted to play D1 as well, you know, but, you know, the way things worked out, there just wasn't really that definite opportunity for me. You know, maybe there were some places I could have tried to walk on, but, you know, I, I wanted to know that I was going to play and I knew that I was going to have the ability to play my freshman year at Bentley. So that was really a big selling point for me. And obviously the school as well was, was a great fit. Um, and... I think another thing that's interesting too in in the Northeast is there's very much like a stigma against going to play JUCO. And from my experiences in pro ball, I can say that about half of the players that I've played with who have played in college were at JUCOs at some point in their career. And these are, you know, very few people from the Northeast, right? Like most people from, you know, the rest of the country, right? Midwest, California, Texas, Florida, the South all over. Right. And there it's like, okay, you don't, you're not good in high, you're going to, you're not good enough in high school to go to a D one. Like, all right, you're going to go to Juco. And then in a year or two, then you're going to go to that school that you really want to. But around here, it's a little bit more of like, okay, like, you know, I think it's like that East, like East coast kind of like elitist mentality. Like, Oh, like I'm, 
I'm too good to go to JUCO or like my kid's too good to go to JUCO. Like a parent doesn't want to be like, oh yeah, like, oh, your son's going to like Harvard, your son's going to, you know, Middlebury, whatever. Yep. Like, oh yeah, my son's going to JUCO. Um, and no matter if that person's going to end up at like a great school after their JUCO, which is very, very possible. Um, but it's just another, it's another opportunity to get better and to get to the place that you want to be at. Yeah. And as we're talking about recruiting and, and high school players, I, I want to talk about or, or ask you about the, what college coaches are kind of looking for in, in recruits. Um, and especially like you said, with guys throwing harder, if everyone's throwing mid to upper eighties and, and everyone's got a good fastball or, and say you got a good off speed, that's great. Like that's great. The performance wise, but how can, how can guys differentiate themselves from the pack? Maybe not even using the performance. If you're just as good as the other guy, how can you differentiate with, with qualities, just human qualities and, and just personal qualities? Like you've been around a lot of college coaches and, and continue to do so. What are, what are the qualities that you see that uh, get guys looked at? Right. I mean, there's, it's a very interesting picture because, you know, there, there are a lot of factors that play into it and, and different coaches and different schools are looking at different things. But I think at the end of the day, it, it goes back to, am I going to recruit someone to my school who can help me in the future? Right. So that's why, you know, you might see that soft throwing kid who's throwing 77 dice up high school hitters. Right. And he might go up against some guy who's throwing 88 and that person might get hit around a little bit, but the person who's throwing 88 is the one who's probably going to get that offer. If there's colleges at that school or colleges at that game, right? Because college coaches are looking at can, does someone have the tools to help me at the next, at the next level? Right. And you see this at every level. There's right. It's, Velocity is definitely important, right? Tools are definitely important. And if you don't have elite tools, right? College coaches know this has been proven time and time again. If you don't have elite tools, right? You're not going to, at some level, you're going to stall out, right? So college coaches are seeing, okay, does this person have the tools to play at the college level? Pro scouts are looking at, does this player have the ability to play at the professional level, right? Analytics organizations in MLB, they're looking at, does this person have the ability to perform a double A, triple A at the MLB level, right? All those things. Um, so developing an elite skill is definitely something that's going to help you stand out, right? Whether that's throwing velocity, hidden for power, exit velo, sprint speed, Right. And then obviously like fielding hit tool, all those things are going to help you stand out. Right. And, and I think those are what can definitely differentiate you. Um, a lot of, you'll hear like a lot of parents say like, Oh, like, you know, my kid's like a great teammate. Right. Or like, you know, he gets guys out or he gets a lot of hits. Um, but you know, first of all, being a good teammate is like, the easiest, like bare minimum thing. Like I, I haven't played with many bad teammates, you know, 
And so, like, that's, like, a bare minimum thing. Yeah. Right? And then if you look at developing, right, if you look at, oh, like, my, my kid hits, like, gets a lot of hits. Like, he was two for three today. Okay, but maybe he had, like, an infield single, and maybe he had, like, a blue pit. Yep. Whereas, you know, another kid, you know, this is just putting in a hitting perspective versus a pitching perspective. Maybe the other kid lined out twice, and or he hit, like, a foul home run. Yep. And, you know, coaches are looking, okay, like, that kid's got some power. You know, he's got bat speed that's going to be able to catch up to 90 miles an hour. You know, that kid who hit two singles, right, he might not have the size, the strength, the bat speed, right? Maybe he's got the bat speed to catch up to 80 miles an hour in a high school game. But they know that from what they've seen, right, when that kid faces some higher-level pitching, you know, it's not really going to work out. So those are developing, like I said, an elite tool to help yourself stand out is the biggest thing. If you can't do that, or, well, if if you're at the same level, let's say, like, there's, you know – you're both throwing like 90, like you both have an elite tool, right? Then it's all the other little intangible things, right? Like the being a good teammate, the hustling, the instinct for the game, right? Are you, are you backing up where you need to be? Like, are you making like the smart play? You know, that's another piece that coaches are looking for. And then the physical side of things, right? Like, are they physical? Do they move well? Are they athletic? Um, do they have a projectable frame? Are they going to fill out and maybe add like five miles an hour, you know, when they add another 20 pounds to their frame, you know, all those things, there's, there's definitely so much to it. Yep. Yeah. And yeah, I agree. I I think like you said that you, you need to find a way to stand out first, like physically, if, if you're big and strong and and very athletic, then chances are they're going to take that athlete who's, who's maybe not as polished. Um, but if you're, if you're this dude throwing, we'll say like mid eighties, but you're, you're not very athletic, but you're a good pitcher. Maybe they take the dude who, who looks more athletic because they think he's going to project into something greater than, than what you have. And, and maybe they're wrong. Like coaches aren't always right, but they, they got to base it off of what they see right there. So what, you know, if you're not getting recruited, that doesn't mean that, the coaches are right about you. doesn't mean that you're not going to be great. It doesn't mean you're not going to be good. Just understand that they have to make their projections off what they see in the future because that's their job and that's their livelihood. It's all based on, it's all based on projections and they know they get, they know they get things wrong, but they, they have to do the the best they can for their school and, and their job. So, yeah. Um, I want to, I want to talk to you about pro ball a little bit. Um, I know you talked about your adjustment to college, but because you had that adjustment to college and kind of understood that hitters weren't that weren't that good, did that help you in your adjustment to pro ball going in, m- mindset-wise? Uh, a little bit. You know, I've definitely had some, like, some struggles with that um, back and forth. I know, like, this year was, you know, a big one for, for me for sure, um, you know, where I feel like I got influenced a little bit too much by what coaches were saying. Yep. Uh, okay. You know, I felt like I got myself in a really good spot going into the year. Um, and then kind of in spring training, I was pitching well and kind of had some, you know, some discussions with the coaches. And, you know, I kind of, in my opinion, listened a little bit too much. And, and not that it's like bad, like I said, not that it's bad to listen to your coaches, right. but 
think I lost that like trust a little bit in myself um, and in what like I know I had worked on like really really hard to get good at so definitely had some like up and down back and forth um, overall I think I have had a better like mindset going into pro ball of like you know that all right this is this is who I am like I've always been like someone who who throws pretty hard for my level and you know that's where I've found success and that's definitely why I've like continued to like try and push the limits there to get better with that um, and now it's like being able to refine other things right refining my command my off speed right but there definitely have been times in pro Bowl where I'm like oh like I just need to like slow it down to spot it up a little bit which might be accurate like yeah I definitely had like some command struggles but slowing it down like and trying to like spot up probably isn't the answer for that right yeah. it's like there there's there's another answer that's better right it's to get the same result yeah i think that's i think that's interesting when you talk about slowing it down to throw strikes and i think it actually works in at least in my opinion it works in the reverse order like if you're trying to slow it down, you know, you'll hear, here's what I hear from coaches a lot is, yeah, he just seems to be overthrowing. He's just really trying to throw it so hard so he can't find the zone. So, you know, he, he's just got to take some off and, and guide it in there. But when you take some off and guide it in there, your mechanics go go out the window, uh, your intent levels down and everything's different. Plus, it's easier to hit when it's slower um, and, and trying to guide it in there and hit your spot perfectly is is probably gonna not produce the result that you want like yeah your body wants to move at like that high effort that high intensity right like that's how it wants to move that's how it's it knows how to move when you start slowing yourself down right that's when you get tensed up that's when like the sequence gets thrown off right because you're slowing yourself down at like some point and a lot of times when you're trying to like place it in there to throw a strike you're slowing yourself down like with your arm right and to do that when the rest of your body is moving at that high intensity it's the only way to do that is to like tense up a little bit and then that's you're not you're losing that whippiness you're losing that release point right and you're just trying to like feel where is my release point instead of just doing what you've done thousands of times yeah and this is a question that I'm just curious about because I I throw I have thrown decently hard, like high 80s, low 90s, but I've never hit 95, and I want to know what it feels like to hit 95. So can you tell me what it feels like to hit 95? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, definitely, definitely feels good to to throw hard. Um, the first time, actually, interesting story of like the the velo progressions, and that's you know a whole other thing to go into of like you know the ups and downs of that, but the first time I hit 95 was the fall of 2020. So my sophomore year of college, I actually, so it was 2017. At the end, I hit 94. And I was like, before that, the only velo I had known was 85 in high school is what I got up to. So I went from 85 to 94. And this was like over two years, but we didn't have a radar gun at school. So we never knew yeah. how hard we were growing. And I was like, Oh wow. Like that's, that's crazy. Like I could do something with this. And it's like, 
thinking like, okay, I'm just going to keep progressing, right? Like 95, like that's next, that's easy. And I did not hit above 94 as far as I know. Like we didn't have guns on us all the time, but anytime I had a gun on me, I did not hit above 94 for another three years. Yep. Right? Yep. So that was like definitely a journey and super frustrating and there's ups and downs, but I think finally seen and like that 95 on the gun was like, okay, like I actually can do it. Like there's not like a physical limitation, yep. you know, it all, and after that, you know, I, I started like training a little bit differently, but after that, you know, that off season, I got up to 97 and I think a little bit was like a, a mental block of like, Oh my gosh, like 94 is not my limit. Like now, like, okay, how high can I go? Yeah. Right. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, it, it feels good, and um, the the first time I hit 95 was, like, super, super max effort, and the thing is, like, once you start to understand how to, like, move your body better, yeah. like, that's when you start to, like, flow, and it, like, the velocity starts to come out easier, right? Yep. A lot of times that first time is, like, super high effort, especially if it's in, like, a bullpen setting. Yeah. Where it's like, all right, like velo pen. Yep. Yeah. Yep. But yeah, yeah, that's a, that's the story there. Generally, when you're pitching, are you, maybe it changed with pro ball, but are you tailoring your approach to the hitters, or are you more focusing on what what you do and just executing your pitches, or are you kind of seeing what they have struggled with and then executing on them or is it kind of just a, a mix and, and feel? Yeah. I mean, you'll, you'll see some things and you'll talk to, um, you know, teammates, you know, in, in indie ball, we don't have like crazy scouting reports or anything like yeah. that. Uh, and I know that for me personally, I know that as a pitcher, I'm very different than a lot of pitchers that I'm playing with. So, you know, I take a lot of what they say with like a grain of salt and, I, I personally would always rather get beat with what I want to throw than get beat with like trying to attack their weaknesses. Right. I'd rather say like, here's my best pitch that I'm confident with in this situation. And if they hit it, you know, then they hit it. Um, but like, if I, if I'm like, okay, like they're, you know, they're not good at hitting sliders. Yeah. Right. But I'm like, ah, like I think I could throw a fastball by this guy. But I'm like, no, scouting reports a slider, so I'm gonna throw a slider. Yeah. And they hit the slider, then I'm like really like kicking myself. Um, so, you know, there there is a a fine balance of like you have to understand a hitter's weakness, but as it pertains to yourself. So a lot of times I'll, you know, you face guys more than once. Um, or even in that bat, I think it's more a lot more valuable, at least for myself, to see how they react to my pitches and then go off that than seeing how they react to other people's pitches. Yeah, in, in my mind, I don't know if there's a way to test this. I've been try- I like sometimes I'll ask my my friends like if there's a way to test this when you're trying to throw a pitch and you're, you have like a 10 out of 10 intent on it. Like you're like, I'm going to go fastball or I'm going to go splitter and you go, or I throw a splitter. So I think about splitter, but I'm like, I'm going to throw this pitch and I know I'm going to throw this pitch as hard as I can. 
I want to know if there's a way to test. Like I would, I would have to say, yes, I threw this as with, with the most intent and with full confidence, but I want to know if there's a way, if I threw a splitter with 4% confidence to see if that gets hit harder, because I feel like when some weird, yeah. some weird thing, whenever I throw a pitch with full confidence for some weird reason, whether it's right down the middle or, or painted, if, if I throw it with full intent and full confidence, normally the result is a lot better than if I'm throwing, like you said, a slider at like 50% confidence, even if it's a dotted up slider, for some reason, it feels like it gets hit more than throwing something with full confidence. Yeah, it is. It is weird. Uh, It is something, I don't know if hitters pick up on it or if it's just some, some crazy phenomenon in the world, but you're, you're absolutely right about that. Uh, it, It does seem to work out that way a lot. Yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. Um, and, and I also want to talk about one of the, the sickest things or the coolest things that I see on your Instagram that I'm really into is, is throwing from like half kneeling and just like making yourself, um, like making yourself, putting yourself in a constraint and making yourself learn how to throw out of that. And I just want, want to know the background of how, how that started and, and why, you know, why you throw from half kneeling and how it can be so good for, for some pitchers. Yeah. So I first started doing the half kneeling throws, um, when I was working with Ed Barham, um, Northeast cheese factory, shout out to him. Um, and he was doing some work with, uh, the pitching doctor and that was, um, a big, a big piece of his program at the time. And he was talking about how, you know, you're taking the momentum and a lot of the, you know, that you're taking the legs out of the, out of the picture. And if you can create, right, like you should ideally be able to create around, I believe it's 80% of your max velocity from just your upper half, right? So hips and up, right? It's just like that should, you should be able to create about 80% of your max velocity, right? So the goal was like, okay, like you want to throw a hundred, like you should be able to get to 80 on these throws. Right. Not always like perfect. Right. But it's a general guideline of like, okay, like you, let's say like you need to figure out what, um, like what you struggle with in your throw. Right. Maybe you're great, like getting down the mound, but if 80% of your velocity is coming from your upper half. And if you think about it, right, like at the end of the day, you are throwing with your arm, right? Like that is what is throwing the ball, right? Like you need to figure out how to use that as effectively as you can, right? Because like you can clean up like your legs and everything great, but if you don't know how to actually like throw the ball and like get layback, like you're pretty much screwed, right? Like someone could have the most perfect mechanics, right? Like lower half, even through their torso, right? But if they don't get to like, they don't get layback, right? Like they don't have that whippiness in their arm. Like you're not throwing hard, but you could have someone with like pretty darn bad lower half mechanics, but they know how to like throw with their arm. Like that person's still going to be able to throw decently hard. That's yeah. That's, I mean, you see it, you see it like watching MLB or, or whatever baseball you want to watch, but I mean, it stands out in the MLB because guys can compensate because they're either so big, so strong, but 
you know, you're like, oh, some guy, like that guy doesn't hinge. That guy doesn't sit well. But then his arm is like a, a slingshot and you're like, oh, that's maybe why he throws a little bit harder than most people is because his arm looks like it's moving 7,000 miles per hour and he gets good layback and good, good uh, separation and, and things like that. So yeah, that, that, that's really, that's a really cool point. And, and I, that's something I've haven't thought a lot about before. So that's really interesting and, and cool. And I want to bring up a tweet when I was, you know, stalking your Instagram before the podcast, I, uh, I scrolled pretty deep down there and, and found a, found a tweet, um, that really resonated with me. And it was talking about gratitude and never knowing how things are going to fall for you, even if it wasn't the way you thought. And and I've shared this on the podcast before, I think in my first episode or one of my first ones about just my baseball journey. But, um, when I, when I transferred from SNHU, I remember being in the car, like driving down to Babson, like, like on the phone to my mom, like crying, like, Oh, I'm never going to get a chance to be like D1. I'm I have like, I, I'm never going to be good at baseball. Like I'm, I'm transferring to a D3 and like, had no idea how things were going to unfold, but hindsight 2020, um, seeing that that needed to happen in order for me to go down the path and then COVID happened. And then I was able to go to Northeastern, like everything just seems to just to fall into the right places. Not, not in the way that you think, but just in the way, in the way that it needs to go. Like there's the things that need to come to you will come to you at the right time but it might not be how it's pictured in your head and and I just really resonated with that topic and and maybe you could go a little deeper or, or talk about that yeah I I remember that tweet and I, I can't even remember exactly what it says I I mean but that was actually from a kind of like a, a workshop we were doing at ATP and our our media guy at the time had to start off this workshop by just opening up our notebook and kind of writing down like what we were thinking and what we were feeling um, like in that moment being in that place. And for me, I don't know, it was kind of just what I was feeling. And I, I do feel this a lot of like, just like thanks and gratitude for like everything that I have and like the position that I'm in. And it was kind of just like, you know, I'm so thankful for, you know, whether, whatever it is, right. Like family, friends, like my job, my ability to play baseball and be healthy and all of that. And it was kind of like, okay, like write all that stuff down. And, you know, we were, everyone was like writing their stuff down. And then it was like, okay, now like you have to tweet that out. And we didn't know. So that's it was like, hilarious. okay, now you have that's to tweet sweet. out. And everyone's like, oh, man, like, you know, I was kind of just like writing for myself. I was like, okay, no, this, like this, obviously this was the point of like the workshop was like to get you out of like your comfort zone a little bit. And, um, but yeah, it was like, okay, like, why not? Like I'll fire this off. And I actually got like so many like great responses from that. And yeah, I, I think like, like you're not the only person that I kind of like resonated with. And so I was, yeah, that was that was really cool um, because that, you know, that is what I was feeling. And, you know, it's, it's awesome to like put that stuff out there. Uh, Cause you never know like who that is going to impact and who's going to read them and be like, okay, yeah, that's awesome. Like, Oh, like 
I'm not I'm not afraid to like say that or, or put that out there as well, right? Wins or losses, you know. So, and also just like you know, giving thanks every day and 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 just being you know appreciative of what you have and like you said, you know, not everything's gonna go as planned, but you know, I definitely try and keep that mindset every day of like, you know, who knows what's gonna happen today, but. I always love to think like it is going to work itself out. Like just having that, that mindset is, has been great. I think when you can get to that mindset, sometimes it might take a little bit of, of work, obviously like everything does, it takes a little bit of work on everything, but when you work on that mindset and you can get to that place where you're kind of seeing things as just opportunities that will eventually come together, it just helps it actually come together. So, it, you know, if something hard happens that day, you're, your car gets towed or, or you're, you're, you're in a weird spot or a bad spot. You can always be like, well, I, I can't wait to see how, how this plays into my favor in a week or two months or a year. Like something's going to come because of this, that, um, will be better for me. And if you can think that way, I, I really have faith that, that it, that it actually plays out in, in life. Um, so yeah, I think, I think that's, yeah, go ahead. You're exactly where you, know, yep. you need to be. At every moment. Yeah, I agree hundred percent. So I think that's a good place to end, but I'm not going to let you go quite yet. Cause we got the rapid fire questions. So right, favorite book, uh, favorite book. Uh, I'm going to go with a childhood book. Fantastic. Mr. Fox. Okay. I think I've read that. I think I've read it. I'm not hundred percent sure. I'll have to ask yeah, my more books recently, but yeah. that's, uh, that's the overall favorite. I'll have to I'll have to ask my grandma. I'm sure she's read that one to me before. But uh, favorite memory from baseball? Favorite memory from outside of baseball? Oh, um, baseball. It's tough to pick one, but one that definitely stands out in my mind right now is when I've signed my first pro contract. Um, and this was in 2019, signed with the USPBL at the end of the summer and you know just uh that feeling was so surreal and then being able to you know call my parents and call my brother and you know they've been supporting me you know forever and and always been there for me so i know it meant a lot to them too so it was just uh that was an amazing feeling and really definitely one of the most crazy and surreal experiences i've had Favorite memory from outside of baseball? Uh, man. Tough one. I'm just thinking of like, I think one of the best experiences I ever had was, I'm going to say like a favorite vacation that I ever had was going skiing in Colorado when I was in the fourth grade. Yeah. Um, that was just, uh, it was an amazing trip and just like, I've always felt like a connection to being outside and then being able to, you know, be in the mountains is like, I, since then I've kind of felt like a connection to that. I feel like connection to, to nature more or, or just the mountains. Yeah. Uh, nature being outside the mountains. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I got to experience that a lot this summer too, being up by uh, glacier national park. Uh, I got to do a lot of hikes and everything out there. So, yeah, definitely, definitely some great experiences there. Yeah, nature's nature's pretty cool when you go outside and see it. 
Have you ever been in flow state and can you describe it? Yeah, yeah, definitely had some experiences in flow state. I mean, whether that's playing baseball, I think getting, you know, in coaching. Yep. I'll get there, even like reading some stuff like that, yep. doing work. Um, and yeah, it's kind of just that feeling where you're just locked in and time kind of just, I don't know if it passes super quickly or if it freezes around you. But it's just like everything, your mind is just so locked in on that task at hand. You know, let's say it's getting that batter out, right, or throwing to the catcher, and everything around you is just blocked out. You know, there could be thousands of fans in the stands, and you couldn't even tell that there was one. You know, there could be one fan in the stand who's yelling at you, but and it's dead quiet, but, yeah. you know, you can't even hear them. Right, you just enter this, this realm, and it's just you. It's right. pretty, it's pretty sweet. Um, what is something this might be, this one might take a little bit of thinking, but what is something uncomfortable that you want to start doing in order to grow? Okay. Take your time. Something uncomfortable. You can make it up on the spot. Yeah. I, I'd say just like getting out and interacting with like, almost like total strangers um, is, is something that would help because yeah. and I, I've gotten a lot better. This when I was younger, I was super quiet, pretty shy and um, would not say too much. And, you know, I've slowly gotten better at, you know, talking more, expressing my opinions and then, you know, being able to talk to people that, you know, I don't really know. And sometimes even being like the one who initiates that conversation and yeah. as a coach, kind of have to do that because you know a lot of these kids are like super intimidated by you like as like a grown adult and someone like in more of a spot of like authority or something like that sure so being able to initiate those conversations um but i i have always been envious of those people who can just like walk up to anyone yeah at the park you know at, at a restaurant um on the train whatever and just spark up a conversation still don't like have much of a, you know, great grasp over that, but, yeah. um, stuff, definitely something I've been working on getting better at. No, that's a good, that's a good skill to grow for sure. Um, most valued non-material possession. Uh, yeah, I mean, definitely. Why well, can I say like my family and, and stuff like that? Is that sure? You're, you can say you're like your relationship to them. Yeah. I would say that's not, yeah, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. Just like, my yeah relationship and like love that I have for like family and friends is yeah there's nothing that can like come between that yeah um, nothing that can really match that I'd say you know I've there's been times where it's just like you have thoughts of like things people have done for you or experiences you've had with people and it's just like can can really move you you know bring you to tears like out of nowhere no I. I mean, a hundred percent. That's, that's, that's great. I mean, all these, all these things, it's, it's interesting not to go on a rant in our rapid fire questions, but it's interesting to like hear, hear, or have conversations like this and hear, you know, views from, or thoughts from other people, because as humans, we have very similar, um, we have, we have very similar like experiences, um, and, and like, I experienced that 
sometimes on a daily basis too like you start you start like tearing up you're like yo what the, you're like yo dude like yeah. like i'm in the i'm in the gym right now like what <laughs> like what am i doing like why am i thinking about my family and it's not bad but like it's like yeah. it's yeah. It, it's it's a, it's a cool like it's actually really cool to have something that that you're that grateful for to to have be that emotional about yeah. um but yeah what's a similar topic but what's something you often forget you're grateful for uh, I guess I'd say like my, my health and like well-being. it's something I'm like very focused on all the time, obviously like to keep up my performance. Yep. Um, you know, I try and really like take care of myself, but sometimes I don't think I take like those steps back to like be like, okay, yeah, like that's great. Like you can take care of yourself, but like and you're like feeling good, but you know, there's so many other pieces to it, right? There's so many little things that like people deal with like day to day. And like, generally I am like pretty healthy and like don't have like many health problems or anything like that. So super uh, grateful for that always. And that I don't have to like, you know, worry a ton about that because I know that, you know, and this goes back to like having injuries. Like if you have an injury, like you, that's when you're like, Oh wow. I really took that for granted. Yep. So, yep. you know, trying not to take that for granted and, you know, always appreciating your health when you have it because you never know when that could be, you know, taken from you. Yep. This is a new one I just had. So you're, you're the first one that's going to answer this one. Might be hard to answer just one, but I'm going to try to have you only answer one. So the best life lesson that baseball has taught you. Just, I know there's so many out there, but if you could really only have one. I'd say it is that you're going to get kicked down and like beaten down, yeah. but there's going to be opportunities to keep getting back up and, and keep improving yourself. And just cause you get beaten down doesn't mean that, you know, you're done. Um, you know, I've had plenty of opportunities, you know, but also plenty of failures, right? Like released from teams, cut from teams and, you know, could have just said, all right, like I'm done and that's it. But I always knew that I had more to give. So it was kind of like, all right, like learn from it, get better from it. You know, yeah. Baseball uh, can, can beat you down, but there's always room to, there's always an opportunity to get better and to grow from that and, you know, improve yourself. Yeah. Last one is advice for your five-year-old self. Is this baseball advice or just life advice? Whichever you please. So I'll give you I'll give you two then. Baseball advice, and this is what I say to like any parent or any like young kid is like develop the love for the game because that's how you're gonna continue to grow and you're gonna embrace practice, you're gonna embrace hard work and you're gonna have that constant desire to always get better and wanna stay around the game. So learning the love for the game is and not losing that is great advice for a young kid and then in life i would say don't worry too much about the opinions of people who don't mean much to you all right so it's not don't worry about anyone else's opinion all right because i think you know the people who care about you have great opinions and 
you know, are going to help you get better and let you know when, like, you're, you're messing up. But if you worry too much about, you know, some person you saw on social media or, you know, some person at school that you're not friends with who said something, um, you know, it's really going to impact you a lot mentally and it could change who you are, you know, for the worse. So really just embrace who you are and, you know, don't listen to the opinions of people who you wouldn't want, who, who you don't really care too much about their opinion. I like, I like them both. Uh, and I just want to take this time right here to allow you to tell the viewers and listeners where they can find your content and where they can contact you. Yeah. Um, Instagram is probably like where I'm most active and my Instagram is throw underscore Ched. And then same thing on TikTok. I don't post as much there, but I actually have a lot of followers there. Okay. Randomly. So you can finally find me in those two places. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's all we got for today. Again, follow us on Primal Baseball. Go, go check out throw Ched stuff and uh, we'll see you guys next episode. Thank you, Jordy.